people. So that's all these parables Jesus has been talking about the last few chapters we've been in Matthew. These are that they're all culminating in, in what we're looking at this morning. But that's what we just sang about. Isn't that cool? Thank you for choosing. That was great. Great job, Jeff. Hey, let's uh, let the kiddos follow that guy right there. Sean doing his first week of teaching. Parents, you can trust him. We vetted him. We vetted him. He had to sit in on a few sessions with Renee and Sonny, and then we made him pay extra. I'm just kidding. We did have to pay. So thanks, Sean. Thanks for doing that with the kiddos. They're actually doing uh, clean and unclean animals in Acts chapter 10 today. When Peter had the vision of God descend, you know, putting the blanket or the towel down with all the food, he says, go ahead and eat. It was a big, that was a big churning point in the gospel for the Jews to understand that Gentiles were being brought in. So he told me he's going to use a bunch of uh, stuffed animals of clean and unclean animals to help them. That's hilarious. That's awesome. All right. So uh, let's see. No, you stay here. You're, you're, we're in Matthew, buddy. We're not in Acts. All right. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. We are in, Ac- or in Matthew. Oh, stop it. Matthew chapter 25 and 31 through 46. And we'd be uh, finishing up the the. The Olivet Discourse, and in my Bible, there's only three pages left, four pages left, just so you see. I actually turned, we've been on this, in my Bible, we've been in this section for about four weeks, so now I did this, this morning. So there we go, okay? (laughs) Well, that might be the Lord coming to take us away. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. I finished with the gospel. He's like, okay, I'm going to bring you home now. <laughs> I mean, we're not supposed to laugh. This is church. All right, so we're in Matthew. I know. Thank you, Kathy. It's the word of God, right? Brings jo- Hey, joy. We're allowed to have joy in this. Okay. Hey, let's uh, read in this passage and we'll uh, move forward here. So now, verse 31 of chapter 25. Again, we're ending up the Olivet Discourse. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed, favored, by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. 
Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Lord, as we read these words, we thank you, first of all, for your word. Because in your word we find direction, we find life, we find clear thinking, we find the, only, the truest truth there can ever be. And in your word this morning, Lord, we have you speaking directly about the end times. You have in, the, in this, all, of, all of that discourse, this sermon that you delivered to your disciples just before, the next day you're going to be arrested and the next day after that crucified. So we, we have a, a final words here, and it's about the end times, but we have the culmination of, of the, all of the end times, and, and we get to see you reigning, but we see there's a serious warning here, God. So Lord, I pray that you would drill this down into our hearts, that we would uh, feel the, 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 the weight of it. If not for ourselves, if we're, if we're believers, if we're your followers, we can rejoice that we get that welcome into your kingdom. But, but Lord, may the, may the force of this drill down into our hearts because uh, if our friends or family do not know you as their Lord, as their Savior, as their King, they will, they will get the depart from me, you who are cursed. That's, Wow. I don't want that for anybody, but that's, that, is the, that is the eternal reality. So, God, I pray that you'd use this word to, uh, to transform us, to help us have hearts that are more soft and more urgently aware of those in our lives who are not Christians, so that we would be more ready to, to share your hope to them. God, to show love to them, to befriend them and care for them, but, Lord, never to withhold this truth because that is their greatest need. It's anyone's greatest need is to know you as their Savior, Father, Lord, and King. So God, thank you. And we just pray for your blessing now as we walk through this passage. And uh, may you be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1969, in past Christian Mississippi, a group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party, quote-unquote, in the face of a storm named Camille. This is in 69. They were ignorant of, were, or were they ignorant of the dangers? Could they have been overconfident? Did they let their egos and pride influence their decision? We'll never know. What we do know is that the wind was howling outside the posh Richelieu apartments when police chief Jerry Peralta pulled up sometime after dark. Facing the beach less than 250 feet from the surf, the apartments were directly in line of danger. A man with a drink in his hand came out to the second floor balcony and waved. Peralta yelled up, You all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm's getting worse. But as, the other man, uh, as, as other man, others joined the man on the balcony, they just laughed at Peralta's order to leave. This is my land, one of them yelled back. If you want me off, you'll have to arrest me. Peralta didn't arrest anyone but he wasn't able to persuade them to leave either. He wrote down the names of the next of kin of, 20, of the 20 or so people who had gathered there to party through the storm. 
They laughed as he took their names. They had been warned, but they had no intention of leaving. It was 10.15 p.m. when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind speed at more than 205 miles per hour, the strongest on record. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later showed that the worst damage came at the little settlement of motels, go-go bars, and gambling houses known as Past Christian Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party in the Richelieu Apartments. Nothing was left of that three-story structure but the foundation. The only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. They didn't heed the warning. Folks, as we've been walking through the Olivet Discourse, there is so much that we need to heed, right? And again, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have the assurance that we've heard the warning, but we stand in the shelter of the King for the storm that is coming. We are sheltered, we have refuge, He is our King, our God, our Savior. But if you're not a Christian, you need to heed this warning. And uh, whether Jesus returns now or you die, you are going to face this judgment, a separation. And so this warning is so important. And then for if you are a Christian, like I was praying, may we feel the force, may this reality, eternal reality, help us see clearly. When I'm at the store, Albertsons, walking around, saying hi to people and shopping, I am walking in the midst of either the walking dead or the, those who are living in the, in the life of God. That's all, that's all there is in this world. There's two categories of people. That's all there's going to be. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter what shade of belief of other isms that are out there, if you don't think there's any God at all, you, there's only, you're in the wrong category. Hear this, when we look at this and we look at the goats, that's the category that you would be placed in. And, and again, if we're Christians, that would be the category our friends, our co-workers, our, our loved ones who aren't Christians. This is the category they're in. And so in a sense, we have to feel the force of it, right? And again, I know that week after week for the last, well, this is the ninth one on the Olivet Discourse, but even before that, Jesus had pronounced all these woes. This is a section where Jesus is giving some severe, strong condemnations on those who are self-righteously opposing him, but then warning those who were indifferent to him or who had just straight up rejected him. He's warning, warning, warning. Why? Because he's about to go to the cross. Remember, this is Wednesday. This is the end of Wednesday. The next day is when he's going to be arrested and on trial, and Friday he would be on a cross. And, and so he is, these are his closing words in a sense. And so we need to pay special attention to hear that. Again, you, you know my personality. I love to be, used to be encourager and like, yeah, this is so amazing. And this, believe me, I love this. These passages are so good, but they're not the encouraging passages, are they? They're the exhorting passages. And that's what we need to pay attention to and to take. All right? And to take it and to just listen So we must be ready to meet our king. We all will face him, either at death or if he returns. 
Again, this, these all of it discourse, this is closing up saying this is the, Jesus' clear direction or declaration of what will happen. He wasn't just saying, oh, I think it might be kind of like this. He's telling us what will happen. Okay? No more parables, just the straight-up harsh reality, the picture of what's going to happen when he returns. And again, I'm calling this the rewards of the reigning King Messiah. Because that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus is the king. That word Messiah means anointed one who is the promised king. That's what, that's, that's what Messiah means. It's the anointed promised one who is the king the, from the line of David who is to reign. And so he's coming with rewards, either really good rewards or really bad consequences, right? And that's what we're seeing here. That's how he's closing it up. So in verse 31, we have what's called the reign of the king. All right, and you guys have blanks. I did blanks this time because I felt like it. But that first blank is the reign of the king in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Did Jesus ever sit on a throne in Jerusalem before he died? No, he didn't. But there is a throne that's going to be there for him to sit, the actual Davidic throne. King David was promised in 2 Samuel that you will have a descendant who will reign forever. Daniel 7 says that's going to be the Son of Man. He's going to be reigning, and this is when he sits on that throne. The timing, all right? First of all, it's the end of all of the events of Matthew 24 and 25. It's ending the Great Tribulation. We're at the end of the seven-year period, all right? So all these incredible signs have happened, and now he's returning, It's after the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're reading in Revelation chapter 19, we have this big marriage supper where he's with all of his his bride. There's a wedding supper and then he gets on his horse and he comes down to earth and he goes after the armies that are gathered to crush the Jews. He comes down. That's Revelation 19. And we come with him, by the way. Again, I believe there's a rapture. For so during the tribulation, if you're a Christian, you'll be with the Lord. We have our glorified bodies. We will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb, but then we come with Him. We're part of the party that comes with Him. We don't fight with Him. He does all that Himself. But we will judge with Him, it says. Okay? So that's the timing. The prophecies. This is, I've mentioned some of these prophecies. I just want to read some of the prophecies so you know what I keep referring to. And I'm not going to read all of them because we would be here for you know, a couple days of just reading and talking about this. I'm not going to do that, but I want to read a few to give you a taste of, of what, we've, what I've been talking about. So first of all, we have Daniel 7, and I'm going to read 9 through 14. This is where Daniel has the vision about the Son of Man who comes before the Ancient of Days. Let me read it to you. As I looked, this is Daniel, again, this is about 600 years before Jesus, as I looked... Thrones were placed in the ancient of days, that's God, we'll call God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. That description is also in Revelations chapter 1 of who? Jesus as he is now. Did you know that? Pretty cool. A stream of fire issued issued, and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, talking about the Antichrist, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. 
And for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. I think this is, oh, we've got to click the slides. Keep going. Keep going. Here, I'm reading right here. Go to the, okay, yeah, I'm good right there, right there. (laughs) There you catch up so you can see what I'm reading. I saw in the night visions, verse 13, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. What was Jesus' favorite self-designation? The son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. We have two deity figures here, right? This is in Daniel. This is in the Old Testament. He's coming on what? The clouds of heaven. What is that called in Psalms? The chariot of God. He's coming on the chariot of God to the Ancient of Days. Who's who's the Ancient of Days? God the Father. See, there's hints in the Old Testament that there's somebody special out there, right? Because remember, they believe that the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's Deuteronomy 6. They believe there's Yahweh. But we have hints in the Old Testament in several places that there's somebody else who's also God. When we know him as Jesus, okay? And that's one of the things where we see this, and this is one of those passages right here. And to him, oh, and he was presented before him, and to him, this Son of Man was given dominion, that's rule, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall, shall not be destroyed. So this is the prophecy about a coming son of man who's going to have an eternal kingdom. So now we're seeing this come to fruition. Jesus claimed to be the son of man, and now we're seeing the kingdom that it was promised is going to start. Zechariah 14, 3 through 5, I've mentioned this many times. It talks about where the, the returning Messiah is going to land on the Mount of Olives to save Israel, to judge the nations. There's going to be a great valley. When he lands on the Mount of Olives, it says that the Mount of Olives is going to split apart and make this huge valley. Well, Joel says it's going to be, this is the valley of called decision where the, the nations will be judged. We just read in Matthew how he's going to separate the goats from the sheep. That's going to happen in the valley created when Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives, okay? There's so much I haven't said in in all the preaching because there's just too much to do it in these short sermons, but I'm reading you a passage that talks about this out of Zechariah. Again, about, oh, 550 years or more from uh, before Jesus. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. I don't know where that is. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. That happened in the mid-700s B.C. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. That's right out of Matthew chapter 25. He came, Jesus is going to come, and what's coming with him? In Matthew 25, all of his angels. Okay. Acts 1, 6 through 11, jumping to the New Testament. Listen to what the angels say. So when they had come together, they asked him, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Talking to Jesus as the disciples asked that question again. When are you going to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He says, he didn't say it's wrong to ask for it. He says, just don't worry about it. In the meantime, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You've heard of that. That's the great, we're going to be, that's our job, right? Okay. Then he said, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. We call this the ascension, when Jesus returns to heaven. This is after his, res- after his resurrection. What is he going on? What do you know that as? The chariot of God. See, when I, I'm not making this stuff, I'm not making false connections because that's exactly what a Jew would have thought. Okay? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. What are they? Angels his messengers, and they said, men of Galilee, these are the disciples, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What was the way he went up? On a cloud from the Mount of Olives. Where is he going to come back to? To the Mount of Olives on a cloud, just like he said he would and just like all the prophecies say he will. You just read Zechariah where it says that. He's going to come to the Mount of Olives. Daniel 7 says he rides on the clouds. Isaiah 61. Remember when Jesus came to Nazareth and he preached his first sermon to his hometown? He, he read a certain passage and he sat down. And what was the response to his sermon? They wanted to kill him. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And they tried to take him out of town because he says, Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What happened in that passage is that he'd only read part of a verse in Isaiah. And he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, but he stopped midway through the verse. I'm going to read it to you in a second here. Because the second half of the verses and the day of the vengeance of our God, the day of the wrath of God, that's not when Jesus says, I'm fulfilling the first part of the messianic prophecy. I've come to proclaim the gospel of salvation, of freedom. I am not coming right now to bring the day of vengeance. That's what he essentially said. So let's read it. He's bringing great peace, but he will also bring great wrath and kick off the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Isaiah writes, by the way, in the 700s BC, this is one of his prophecies about the Messiah. I'm sorry I do this all the time. I'm sorry, you guys. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Wait, when Jesus was talking to the sheep and goats in Matthew 25, he uses some of the same thing here. Those in prison, the poor, right? The captives, right? So let me just go back to this. And I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when Jesus delivered the sermon, that's where he stopped. The Jews wanted him to say the next phrase because they were under the rule of the Romans. They wanted this part to happen, but that's not what his mission was when he came the first time. He came to do what? Seek and save the lost. He came to die as a ransom for many. He came to be the Isaiah 53 servant who was to die. The second 
Coming is when He fulfills the rest. That's what we're looking in Matthew 25. Here's the rest of the passage. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. This is a hint of Isaiah 53. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. It's another thing. He's coming to fulfill the rest of that Isaiah passage. And by the way, I keep talking about this thousand-year kingdom. Where do I get this idea it's thousand years? I'm going to read to you Revelations 20, 1 through 6. This is the words out of Revelation. Then I saw an angel, and it should be up here. There it is. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, this abyss, And shut it and sealed it over him, that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. Okay, so that's where the first taste of thousand years. Okay, so that's actually the second in that verse. We've seen it twice now, okay? After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, they're the martyrs, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image during the tribulation and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for how long? thousand years, the third time we've seen this. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. Fourth time we've said this. The rest of the dead, I just said that, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Six verses, five times. That's where we get this thousand-year reign of the king. Here's the deal. When you read some of the other passages, death will still be a part of the picture. As a matter of fact, if you die and you're 100 years old, it says that you'll be considered an infant if you die during, at 100. People will live prolonged life again, just like before the flood. How long did Adam and Eve live? Well into their 900s. So it's a, it's a picture. Things have changed. It's going to change during this 1,000 years. But this is the kingdom he's talking about, the kingdom that Jesus in Matthew 25, when he comes back at the end of the tribulation, He is going to do this judgment, and those who are sheep will enter into the kingdom with him. We, Christians, will be coming with him, with our glorified bodies. We will also be a part of it, but we won't have to, we won't be living on earth as as we form. We'll have our glorified bodies. Okay, that's, again, this is, there's so much that we can't talk about, right? So just, that's, I'm just summarizing here. But I wanted you to see this. I keep referring to this passage or these passages, and I just wanted to read them this morning. This is what he's initiating. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 11, 6 through 12, we have a description, again, from Isaiah, of the, what the millennial life is like during this thousand years. Uh, Isaiah 6, or 11, 6 through 12. Is it up there? Yeah, you're great. Thank you. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. What? 
What do wolves and lambs usually do? The lamb's usually lying down and the wolf ain't lying down. Right, he's on top of him. Not, something's different here. The wolf shall, lie, shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. What is that a picture of? Peace. Something's changed. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What? Did you know? That before the flood, guess what we all were? Vegetarians. Hmm, something's changing here. And yes, I take this literally. I do believe when, when the prophecies about Jesus or the Messiah who is going to come, where did they say he was going to be born? Where did he say the Messiah was supposed to be born? In Micah, it says he's supposed to be born in the town of Bethlehem. I believe that literally. And guess what happened? It happened literally. You look at all these prophecies. There's, I take these literally. And this is a one that's pretty literal. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child, toddler, shall put his hand in the adder's, that's a poisonous snake, in the, on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, the descendant of Jesse, who's that? Jesse's the father of King David. So who's the root of Jesse? Talking about the Messiah. Shall stand as a signal for all, for the peoples looking to him. Of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Resting, not meaning death, place where he's resting in death, but his, his abode. And by the way, where, where will the Messiah reign from? Jerusalem. Okay, there's more passage I have to, this will be the last one I read, and I have to keep moving with the rest of the sermon. But I, I've referred to this so many times, I just want to read some of them. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Oh gosh, there's more I have to, I, I, I got to move on. There's Hosea 3, 4 through 5, Isaiah 9, 8 through 15. Um, there's Micah 4, 1 through 8. I mean, there's just so many that these are descriptions of a kingdom where there will still be death, but there'll be amazing peace, but the king will be there, and he, it says he will judge the nations, and they will come to him with disputes. There's certain things in here that can't be part of eternity. Many people say there's, you know, that, oh, no, there's, when Jesus comes back in Matthew 25, he's kicking off eternity. He's not kicking off a thousand-year kingdom. And I'm like, no, there's too many things that aren't fulfilled yet. And I take these to be literal. All these prophecies talk about literal things that are going to be different. And I do want to read Zechariah 12, 9 through 10, when it talks about when he returns. I've said this many times. On that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. What day is he talking about again? The end of the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to have his armies to crush Israel, to crush Jerusalem. I'm talking about that day when he returns. And what happens on that day? I will pour out on the house of David, the Jews, 
and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jews, a spirit of grace. What happened when you got saved? What did you receive? Grace. And pleas for mercy. When you became saved, did you say, oh God, finally you recognize me, here I am. What did you do? Lord, save me, I need you. What is he describing here? Ah, I will pour on their habits of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. What did I preach on Easter? Isaiah 53, they're going to pierce him for their transgressions. They're going to look on him when he returns and shall mourn for him. That's called repentance. If you've never mourned over your sin, recognizing that your sins are what Jesus died for, and you deserve to go to hell because of your sins, if you never mourned, I don't think you were saved. There has to be appropriate mourning. Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven without you. I I need you. Please forgive me. That's mourning. That's good. Doesn't mean you stay there the rest of your life, but these, if there's, that has to happen at salvation. And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. That's deep mourning. And weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn. They'll see Jesus return and realize, oh my goodness, we crucified him. We missed him the first time. And then they'll get saved. As a matter of fact, Romans 11, 25 through 29, which I talk about all the time. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel, the Jews. He's been talking about the Jews from Romans 9 on. Paul talking to the Roman Christians. They, by the way, in Rome, there was a dispute between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. That's why he's addressing this. And I'm glad he did. A partial hardening, he's talking about what has happened to the Jews. They got all the promises of God. Why did they reject the Messiah? Well, here's why. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. God has had a plan that he didn't reveal in the Old Testament. It was a mystery revealed by Christ, talked about by Paul, that during this time period, there's a partial hardening on the Jews. God has hardened them because they rejected him. But during this time, it's called the times of the Gentiles. Praise God for that. I'm a Gentile, but I'm brought into the family because God has sovereignly decided to do that during this time period. That's what he's talking about here. How many of you are not Jewish? Are you glad that he's allowing us in? Me too. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Okay, so there's an end to this time period. And in this way, what way? All Israel will be saved, that is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. How much of Israel will be saved? It says all Israel, not those who had died already, but all when they see the deliverer come from Zion. What is that? That's when he returns to the Mount of Olives to save the Jerusalem. Mount of Olives is right across from the mountain known as Zion. What is Zion? That's where Jerusalem is. The deliverer is going to come to save Israel, judge the nations. And it says that that day he's going to pour the spirit of grace on the Jews. Why is he going to do that? The rest of Romans tells us. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake during this time period. The Jews are enemies, but listen, not enemies of us, but enemies of God. There's a partial hardening, but listen to this. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. What? What does he mean by that? 
Who did God make the first promises to? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a Jewish rabbi who's now a Christian, Paul, using terms that Jews would readily understand, and we need to too. He's saying God's going to save them because, not because they're perfect, but because God decided to. When you got saved, was it because you were smarter and more intelligent than anyone else? Everyone say no. If you think so, you might not be saved. You're saved because of the grace and mercy of God who elected you when to be saved. According to Ephesians 1, before the creation of the world. That's what Ephesians 1 says time and time and time and time again. Why? That's up to God. Do I know who's going to be saved? No. I know he's going to save his elect. So I tell everybody because I can't tell who they are. But God has also said, I'm going to save Israel on that day when I return to fulfill the promises I made, my electing love I set on the Jews. I'm going to bring them back to me, not because they're great, but because I'm great and I made these promises. It's going to happen like that. They're going to see the Messiah, Jesus himself, with his markings, return, him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn bitterly. Biblical repentance. Now, well, there might be individual Jews who don't mourn. Well, I don't know, but it says like all Israel, so I'm, I'm assuming he's going to do something on all the Jews. Maybe there's some that don't mourn, and if they don't, guess what? They're not going to be saved. But God's electing love, he's set on them. And listen at verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. When God makes a promise, he fulfills it. And you can't stop it, nor I. Praise God that he has set his love on me and saved me. Because if it were up to me, folks, you know where I'd be? I'd be in hell. I needed him to break through into my cold heart. And I'm glad I'm not in charge of keeping my salvation. Because he has decided to save me, he also says, I'm going to make sure you stay saved by giving me what, does the Bible say? His indwelling Holy Spirit. And it says he's called the seal of our guarantee. The Spirit is. So what God guarantees, this is a picture of Caesar. That he'd, he'd take his, his special ring and put it in wax on a document, and that was the sign of what? Oh, it's going to happen. But God uses, Paul uses the same term for when God puts the Spirit, His seal is put upon us. So what God seals, what happens? Is it going to happen? Oh, thank you, Lord. Because if my salvation, if it were up to me to keep it, to preserve myself in salvation, guess what I would do? I would lose it all the time. Why? Because I, I know my heart. You guys, and if you don't believe that about yourself... You're not honest with yourself. Now, you may not be as bad as Hitler, but you know what? You still have indwelling sin. I do too. We are a new creation in Christ, but that new creation still has the presence of sin that we struggle with. We're not perfected yet. I'm going way aside from my notes here, so let me get back to my notes. You're getting the point. Praise God he saved us. Psalm 2 talks about the reigning sun over all the nations, and the nations will have to bow to him. And the judgment, okay, this is where we kind of, this is this period, this Psalm, this Matthew 25 is judgment. There's no, there's no getting around it. He's judging all peoples, not just the Jews, but all peoples will stand before the returning king. Only his followers will be allowed into his kingdom. The kingdom hasn't started yet. 
this judgment's happening first, and those who are the sheep get to enter into his kingdom. Remember, he's just given us several parables where the unfaithful wedding attendants who weren't wise, what happened? Were they allowed into the wedding? No, they were shut out. The, the servant, the one who had been unfaithful with the one talent, was he allowed to stay on the property and stay in the service of the master? No, his talent was taken away and he was cast out. The wedding guest who didn't have the right clothes, he was spotted but just before the wedding party starts and the king says, where's your garments? Doesn't have them, he's out. This is, now there's no more parables. This is exactly what's going to happen. Those who are not his sheep, are going to be excluded from the kingdom, okay? And it's not just excluded, they are cast into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes, it's, I know it's harsh, but that's what Jesus says, right? Are you going to argue with Jesus? And by the way, how, much, how loving is he? There's no one more loving than him. Who, what was he known as that the self-righteous Pharisees hated him for? He was known as the friend of who? Sinners. So this is not Jesus, the harsh, cold one. This is the one who died for our sins, okay? But this is the king speaking with authority that we need to listen to. Once he comes, by the way, there's no more chances. Like when you die, there's no more chances to choose Jesus. That's it. It's been appointed once for a man to live and then to die. There's no limbo. There's no holding place where you have a chance to burn off your sins and, and get good with God. It's, it's either or. That's all there is. And if Jesus were to return right now, time's up. That's just, that's all there is to it. So we hear, and now I'm going to run through because the rest of it's pretty easy to understand. I mean, it just says it straight up. The separation, B, is the separation by the king. The sheeps and goats in verses 32 and 33. Before him will be gathered all the nations. That word nations also means translated Gentiles. So it just means everybody. And he will separate people one from another. Okay, now it's talking about people. It's not peoples, it's people, so individuals. There's an individual separation going on here. All right, And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Right hand, left hand. Right hand in Jewish mind was the sign of favor, blessing, uh, inheritance, you're good. Left, okay, now if it was in a positive note, there was the left was reserved for like the third council or whatever, but in this scenario, to be on the left means to be the sign of dishonor, disfavor, and of cursing, okay? The shepherd will be distinguishing his flock from the fakes. It's right out of Ezekiel 34, 17. As for me, my flock says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. There's expected to be a, a separation. That's B. C, I told you it was moving faster. The commendation of the king. He's commending the sheep. I call it sheep by the evidence. Okay? And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, they have God's blessing on them, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. They're welcomed into the kingdom, but when was this kingdom prepared for them? Before creation. <laughs> oh, gosh. When we start talking about before the foundation, just so you guys know, now we're getting tastes of God's perspective, and we just don't, we can't comprehend it because we are finite people, Right? We're limited, finite, flawed, and we only see partially. 
So when God says stuff like this, I just have to say what it says and leave it at that. It says before the foundation of the world. And then he says, what's the evidence that they're really sheep? Well, he lists off a bunch of things. So they get the shepherd's joy. I'm calling him the shepherd because he's using sheep and goats. So I'm going to call him the shepherd because Jesus called himself that. John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. But we get the shepherd's joy. The sheep get it. They're, he's welcoming them into the kingdom. He's invited to their, they're inviting them to their inheritance. An inheritance prepared before the foundation of the world. This is a picture of the sovereign electing love of God for his sheep. This is not a passage that says, if you do these things, you're going to be saved. That's not what it's talking about. He calls them blessed by God. And they had an inheritance that was there before the foundation of the world. This is, this is going, this is electing predestination kind of talk. But those actions they did, those merciful things they did, what is that the evidence of? Their true nature. They proved they were sheep by their actions. That's what the previous parable was about, the parable of the talents. The faithful servants took the resources and showed their love for the master by going to do what he asked them to do. And then when, they came, when he came back, they're like, hey, check it out, God, this is what we did. And then he blessed them, not for what they brought to him, but what did he bless them for? Their faithfulness, their character. Their character revealed, was revealed to be one of love for the master, the unfaithful servant. He wasn't condemned because he didn't have something necessarily to bring. He was condemned because of what he didn't do because what he didn't do and then what he actually said to the master he called the master cruel evil and then here here you just have it back his attitude was revealed by his inaction and his words revealed that he was a, a bad servant a wicked and slothful one that's why he was cast out here the sheep by their evidence show their hearts they didn't earn salvation. And I have a bunch of passages that talk about that. I have to, but it's passages you all know. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's the free gift I want to focus on. A gift. Do you earn it? No, you do not. You just receive it. That's what salvation is. It's a gift by God. The faith, the ability to believe, that faith, how did you get that faith? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's the gift of God. It says that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I have more passages. But why is he referring to their works here? Because... Their works reveal their heart. But here's the deal. I always want to point this out. Matthew 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount. A bunch of people came up implying that they loved him. Oh, Lord, Lord. And what does he say to them? Listen to this. I'm jumping off of my notes down to a different part. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to, or will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these works in your name? I'm summarizing. Verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They might have done public works, 
but they didn't obey him in the day-to-day, everyday decisions. Okay? So make sure that, I want you to understand the place of works. The works never gains salvation, but if you don't have works in your life, meaning serving him and you're just trying to obey him daily, and by the way, you can make mistakes. Those are called sins. What do you do with those? Lord, forgive me. And he's like, that's all right. Sometimes he has to spank us a little bit, right? Because how many of you can be stubborn? You get stubborn in your sin? Bill, raise your hand. You too, I know. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. <laughs> I love you, pal. It's all of us. It's all of us, right? But here's the deal. If you don't have works coming out of your life, what does James say about that supposed stated faith you say you have? If there's no fruit, there ain't no root. If there ain't no works, your faith is a dead faith. That's what's being referred to here, okay? The sheep had shown by their works that they had a real faith. Because here's the deal. During the tribulation, if you were to help someone in prison, he's in prison for the cause of Christ because in the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to set up an idol. We find this from Revelation. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes did, so this Antichrist is going to do. If you don't worship the idol, you get imprisoned and killed. If you don't take the special mark on your hand or on your forehead, I take that literally right out of Revelation. If you don't take his mark, guess what? You could be imprisoned or killed. If you're helping somebody who's imprisoned for that very reason, guess what might happen to you? Oh, what are they doing helping them? They're aiding the criminals. You, that's why he's saying, when I was in prison, you visited me. They were in an act of mercy that flowed from their character. They were willing to be identified with who? Those who are being persecuted during the tribulation. Who is being persecuted during the tribulation? Christians. Those who refuse to worship the Antichrist. Remember, that's the context of what he's talking about. It's the end of the tribulation. Okay, but for us, we're not in the tribulation right now. Let's take it very clearly. It's we should be showing by our lives that there is a root, right? The fruit has got to be there, okay? So the shepherd's joy, then we the sheep revealed. That's what I was just talking about. But notice the sheep's humility, okay? When did we serve you? They're implying like, we, what are you talking about? We were helping that person. He's like, that's exactly my point, You did it because of your hearts to go serve the least of these. Because you did that, you you got to understand, you were serving me is what Jesus was saying. That's the shepherd's praise. And then there's a reward, isn't there? Enter the wedding party. Enter the kingdom. Enter to your inheritance. Isn't that cool? The master in the previous parable, enter into the joy of your master. Oh, my goodness. But then, verses 41 through 46, is the condemnation of the king. It's the exact opposite all the way through. We have the shepherd's rejection of these goats. We have the goats being revealed. What are they, how are they revealed? By their inaction. Their inaction to the least showed that they did not have a heart that belonged to him. Their inaction to help the least. Do you guys get that? That's right in the passage. He con- it's, a, it's the exact opposite. Because if you're not, here's the deal. When you serve somebody who's in prison or naked, all these, they're in need, what do you get back from them? Nothing. But if you're a Christian and you're serving because you love God, do you care? 
Well, no, you get to be able, it's a blessing to be blessing somebody else, right? Yeah, I get to help you, sweet. But someone who's a goat has a taking heart. And a goat wants returns. And what are you going to get from the least? Nothing. So why serve them? That's an arrogant heart. It's a hard heart. And that's what he's saying. Their goats are revealed for their callousness, their hard-heartedness towards the least, towards the little children, the orphans, the widows. You just go down the whole list of who might be the least. Those in prison. I know a guy who goes to the prison regularly to serve, to you know, minister. And that's really awesome. To the least to the least who cannot give back. And I know a lot of you do this. You are serving me and Renee big time. You're amazing. Thank you. We're not the least, though. It's, it's special what you're doing, but the least are the least where you get nothing back. And that's how these goats are revealed, their callousness. And then they get the shepherds, not praise, they get his actual curse. And I don't know how else to state it except to say that. You didn't care for the least. Your unmerciful hearts are revealed. Therefore, you are shut out of the wedding celebration. You're not allowed to enter the master's joy. You're not allowed to stay at the wedding party. You haven't responded to the invitation of the king. Therefore, you are cast out. They are the fruition of all the parables Jesus had just laid out over the last two chapters, three chapters, four chapters, actually. This is scary. So, what? Here we go. Look at fruit. Do some honest self-evaluation. You know, and it doesn't, again, will you sin? Yes, if you're a Christian. Will you serve as much as you should? No. Why? Because you're imperfect and you're not God. (laughs) But should there be fruit if you're truly a Christian? Everyone say yes. I know I've made it clear, haven't I? Look for fruit. What does an honest self-examination of your life produce in your heart? Is there a sense of like fear and guilt? Like, oh, please don't come back yet, Jesus. Or, yes, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I know he's been working in me, and I can see his work in my heart and my life, and I have seen some fruit of him using me to bless others. Okay, well, good. Right? So that's the first part. And if, and if today, if you're here and you're indifferent or antagonistic to this, please reconsider. Look to Jesus, the loving Savior, the caring shepherd, the one who willingly faced the cross. If all this work, talk of him saying he's going to cast you out and you just want to fight him, please consider, in this passage, he is the king who will judge, but you need to understand he's the king who died for those sins. Don't miss that. But if you're antagonistic, you need to reconsider And if you're a Christian, are you prepared to meet the king? Don't put it off. If you're a Christian, do you, do you care about those around you? I, I know I'm, I'm sounding like throwing some guilt on all of us. Please hear that, all of us. I, I, I do want to feel some of the, the weight of this. I need to tell my friends and family more. I'm pretty bold, but not always at the right time. You know, my, I might use Facebook a lot, but that's pretty easy to do it on Facebook, isn't it? Instead of face-to-face, yeah, it's, right. it's pretty impersonal that way. It's, they're distant because they can't talk back. No, well, they can, but not, not like face-to-face. But all of us, we need to feel the weight of this. 
Again, I, I put Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. This is for anyone who's hearing this that hasn't responded to Jesus. Take care, brothers. This is in Hebrews. He's talking to the Jews who had heard about Jesus. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. They'd, they knew about God, but they were in danger of walking away from him. They checked him out, but they weren't sure if they wanted to stick with this. But it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by what? The deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, only if, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. School is just beginning. One morning, went out to start the car to go to church, flat tire. Lucky I had a spare, changed the tire quickly and on way. Didn't, didn't think to drop off the spare to be fixed. Oh, I'll get around to it. Within five days, went out to the car to go to school, another flat. Only this time, no spare. Had to roll it to the nearest station and wait while it was fixed. When something breaks, fix it now. Don't wait until you need it and then you don't have it. This is a silly illustration, but isn't, you've heard this warning. If you're not saved, if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, fix it now. Get right with Him. We'll help you. Talk to me. If you are a Christian and you know friends who you have not opened up to about your faith, I'm not saying you have to go blab it to 50 people in your life, but think about three. If you've never shared what your faith is, gosh, tell them. Tell them. And I'm not going to check up on you. I'm, not going to th- I'm just throwing this out. There's a challenge to all of us. I know I have, I have several people that I know I need to, you know, take that risk. But you know what? It's worth it. Because what will they face? I don't want them to get that curse from the shepherd. Lord, thank you for your word. Hard words in many ways, but words that we need to hear, Jesus. Us... us us comfortable American Christians, sometimes we can get lost in the comforts and ease of life, and we have everyday things we have to think about, how we're going to pay bills, or we have different things, but Lord, we, we have to think about eternity at times, and all the time. We do pray for you to return, but Lord, use us in the meantime to be proclaimers of your greatness, your goodness, your grace, your love, the salvation found in you alone. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you that we can, we can rest in total confidence in your salvation and praise your glorious name. So thank you, Lord, for our time today. In Jesus' name, amen.